My name is Dolores. This is Attitudeable Podcast. And today I am honored to have with me a very prolific author who is just in the other part of the globe. He is Adam Beck and he is in Japan, in Hiroshima. And you know, I'm here in, in Buenos Aires, in Argentina. So Adam, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much, Dolores. It's a pleasure for me to be here with you. It's a pleasure for us to, to learn more about yourself and about your work for of so many years and so many books that you have already written and your famous blog. Can you please tell us more about yourself? Well, the, the overview is simply that I... My name is Adam Beck, yes, and uh, I came from the United States to Japan, to Hiroshima, Japan, uh, 25 years ago. So time has passed very, very quickly, much more quickly than I expected. And I, in the beginning, I didn't expect to stay so long, but I did meet my, my wife-to-be soon after I arrived. And we now have two children, and they are now 17 and 14. And during the time I've been here, I've been mostly focused on working with children, bilingual and multilingual children. And I began my blog, Bilingual Monkeys, in 2012, and the forum, the Bilingual Zoo, uh, I opened that in 2014, and I've written several books about raising bilingual children, including Maximize Your Child's Bilingual Ability, and the new book actually is called Bilingual Success Stories Around the World. So that's those are the highlights, I think, yeah. and I'm happy to talk about anything else. Yes, amazing. I, I love the latest. Well, all your books are amazing and your blog. How long have you been writing your blog? Your famous blog? Oh, well, yes. It started in 2012 and my children were younger at the time. And I was more actively blogging then because I was really in the middle of the experience raising bilingual kids. And so not only as a parent, but as a teacher, because I was a a teacher for many years at the Hiroshima International School, where I had the opportunity to work with many, many bilingual and multilingual children. So as a teacher and as a parent, I then began the blog and was quite active um, until maybe last year. Well, yeah. my kids are older now, and so uh, I don't have as much to write about personally and so I, three years ago, I took on that book project, uh, Bilingual Success Stories Around the World, which is about other people's experiences, other families around the world. So the first book, Maximize Your Child's Bilingual Ability, is based on my own experience as a teacher and as a parent. Um, and then the new book, Bilingual Success Stories Around the World, is based on, well, it shares the success stories of uh, a wide range of families in many parts of the world. Yes, yeah, so this is like proved. I mean, you have evidence <laughs> that it works. <laughs> Excuse me. When you sure. apply different methods and your own 
practice, it, it works mm -hmm. and you can really um, raise these bilingual children. Absolutely. Absolutely. The book, the new book is full of these kinds of success stories. But, you know, when I say success story, it doesn't mean that every family is doing perfectly because no family can. None of us are perfect at this. But what we do have, I think, is enough perseverance, well, persistence from day to day and perseverance over the years of childhood, and that results in success. So it really is about persistence uh, on a daily basis and perseverance over the years of childhood. That is hard because yeah. I, as a mother of four, I have four children and I, I can really uh, say that it's difficult to, to uh, continue that throughout the years and throughout the days right. that some weeks are harder than others <laughs> and some yeah. children are harder than others as well. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. It, it does go up and down. It's kind of a roller coaster, but you know, like anything we want to do in our lives, I really think it's about perseverance, finally, um, and not perfection again. We don't have to be perfect at this. We just need to persevere. And so I think one of the things I, I continuously tell parents is there's always a payoff to perseverance. There always is. And, you know, the only way we can really fail at raising a bilingual child is if we give up entirely. Uh, as long as we keep moving forward day by day, and sometimes we need to take a break and that's okay, but as long as we keep moving forward again and again and again, then our children will make progress. I mean, it's, it's inevitable. It's, it's going to happen as long as we keep going. So we just have to keep moving forward And I think, and again, it's not simply about raising bilingual children, because I know your podcast is broader than that. But I think the idea is really the same, that we, we just have to keep going and not overthink it. Sometimes when it comes to bilingual children, parents sometimes overthink it, I think, and they get frustrated, they get in their own way because they're overthinking it. And I'm not saying it's easy, it's not. Um, and yes, it does require a lot of um, determination and energy from day to day. But again, as long as we keep moving forward and not overthinking it, then we can make, we can continue to make a lot of rewarding progress over time. Yeah, so you like, like your idea is to begin, even though you are not, or you think you are not, ready or everything is you know prepared or as you wish it were perfect exactly exactly and that's true actually of many non-native parents and in this new book bilingual success stories it does feature several non-native parents of different languages um and in some cases they may not have a lot of language ability but they're they're growing they're learning along with their children and that's perfectly uh, a valid way to approach this so you know we don't have to be perfect in our target language 
even as native speakers, none of us are perfect. You know, <laughs> we can always grow in our own language ability, no matter if we're native speakers of the language or not. So there are many, many parents out there who are non-native speakers of a language, but want to use that language with their child and hand it down to them. And um, it's it's very, very possible. But again, it takes some persistence and some perseverance. Even though you are not in the language, in the, the place or the city or the country where the language is spoken, you mean that you can all or anyway, as your case, raise bilingual kids learning like English, like if they were living in the States, for example. Yeah, of course. And so, for example, in this book, there's a family in Spain mm -hmm. and they have been using English with their children. They are Spanish, both of the parents, but they're using English with their children and their children now are bilingual. They're about eight and five now, I believe. But I was there with them and I was watching it in action. I, I traveled through Europe and I interviewed, I had the pleasure of, of staying, having short homestays with many families. And I stayed with them in Spain and, and saw how, how persistent they were, even if their language wasn't perfect, their English ability. And so, again, it's very possible. It really depends on the, the willingness and the determination to try and to, to make your efforts sustainable over time. Mm -hmm. That's right. And you know, as the name of my podcast, it's like an invented word, attitudable, because it's your attitude, together with your capacity and ability to make things yeah. happen. Do you think that this attitude, I mean, varies depending on the kid, if it's a girl, a boy, the, or the age of the person, or even your own, like if you are a young parent or an older parent, or is it like mostly similar or the same? Well, everyone's different. And of course, uh, attitude is, a, is a, a key part of this process, right? Um, but again, it's not only about raising bilingual kids, it's about anything we want to do in our lives. <laughs> Either our attitude is, is positive and pushing us forward, in a productive way, or again, we're getting in our own way. That's when we tend to overthink things or we think in a more negative way about things. Oh, it's not going to work out. I'm trying. Oh, she didn't listen to me today. Oh, what, what's the use? You know, I, what I do see is parents giving up too soon because they've had some difficult experiences. But Again, if they can move beyond those, if they can go over those difficulties or even around or underneath, but mm -hmm. if they can continue past those difficulties, they can experience rewarding progress over time. So that's the kind of overarching attitude that I think we need for not only raising a bilingual child, but, but you know, doing anything else that we really want to do in our, in our lifetime. Exactly. And do you have like a process or like a, a, a method that you keep on implementing or that you suggest, or it like it, it depends? Well, it has to depend on the family um, to a large extent because every family's circumstances are very different, of course. And so there, there isn't 
one method at all. Mm -hmm. And I think if you, uh, you know, the people out there also mm -hmm. read this book, Bilingual Success Stories Around the World, I think what will strike them is that every family is so different and their process, their method, their approach is naturally different because it's based on their own circumstances. And that's what makes it very interesting. And yet at the same time, what's fascinating for me also is that, you know, every family is so uniquely different and that's what makes it interesting. And yet in, in the deepest way, we are, we all face the same challenge. And mm -hmm. I believe that there are two core conditions uh, involved in successfully raising a bilingual child. Number one, and this is universal, there's not too many things that are universal, but this <laughs> is, is exposure to the target language. The child needs ample exposure input in that language. And if they don't get enough of it, it's harder to make progress. It doesn't mean progress can't be made, but you know, progress is generally in proportion to the amount of input or exposure that they're receiving, naturally enough. Yes. So that is necessary because if I, for example, in my case, we're in Japan, of course, and the, the language here is Japanese. So my target language, our minority language is English. And if I hadn't really been using a lot of English with my kids, if I had been relying on Japanese, or if I hadn't really made a lot of extra efforts to expose them to English from books and, you know, music and other mm -hmm. people, then they wouldn't have had enough exposure really to develop strong English ability. So number one is input in the language, is exposure to the language from as many different angles as possible. And that is universal. Number two is generally, I don't want to call it universal because it's not always true for every family, but number two is need, that the child needs to feel some kind of organic need to actively use the language. If they don't feel that in some way, then they'll probably simply rely on the majority language to communicate, right? They don't have a natural need to use the minority language. Uh, now, I said that uh, mm -hmm. it's not always true. And again, I think the stories in my book reflect this fact, but there are some families, again, like this family in Spain, where the children, as they got older, of course, they were aware that their parents are Spanish and they're Spanish speakers. But the thing is, if you take a small child and you establish a bond with them, a relationship with them, in a certain language, then it can be sustainable beyond um, beyond the time when the child is aware that you actually have proficiency in the majority language, right? So those children in Spain, they're aware of their parents' ability in Spanish, but they do continue using English with their parents. Why? Because the, the relationship, the bond was established early on in English. So in effect, they have been conditioned or socialized to use English with their parents. So I don't think we could say they have an organic need to use um, uh, uh, English, sorry. English. They don't have an organic need to use English with their parents, 
but they do have kind of a perceived need or a felt need to continue using English with them. So there are, yeah, it depends on the family in terms of number two, you know, but, but off, that's often a sticking point for families when the, the parents are trying to communicate with their children in the minority language, and yet the child is responding in the majority language, right? And so they can feel frustrated about that. And why is the child doing that? Because they don't really feel a need to use the minority language with that parent because that parent is capable of using the majority language. And maybe that parent is even using the majority language with them. And that's that's kind of undercutting their aim, I'm afraid. Exactly. And this like kind of routines that you have uh, that you also tell us or talk about that in your books that for example you used to read to your children while having breakfast or early mornings yeah. when you begin the day since, yeah. since they were very young do you right. continue doing that now that they are teenagers almost both of them <laughs> yes absolutely so they again they're 17 and 14 and at this point i read I read news to them, you know, I have my mm -hmm. iPad and we're sitting at breakfast and they don't have a lot of time, you know, they have to be off to school pretty mm -hmm. early, but I can take 15 or 20 minutes to read a few news articles to them in English. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really developed over the years, but I've maintained this, this routine of reading aloud yeah. to them from the time they were very small until they run screaming from the house, I will continue this routine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let, let me just say that I think the two main things over time have been talking a lot, talking, talking, talking to my children in English and reading a lot to them. So, you know, when I boil it down for particularly new parents or parents with younger children, I often just say the two main things are talk a lot and read a lot. If you do those two things and nothing else, though I encourage everything else, mm -hmm. but those are the two main things. I think those are the two main pillars of progress. Perfect. And your children pay attention to you, even though they are teenagers, because sometimes it's harder <laughs> when they grow older. That's a, that's a very interesting question. Uh, do they pay attention? Yes and no. I mean, they're like teenagers everywhere. They're becoming busy and independent. And, and we have a lot less time together, you know, and mm -hmm. that's something else I've really been... Um, I've been underscoring for parents recently, make the most of your children's younger years because they pass so quickly. Before you know it, your children are teenagers. And when they are teenagers, you just don't have much time with them anymore. And you have to find ways to spend time with them. And so I have I, I created some books like coloring books, and now I have a new book coming out. It's, um, it's a wordless picture book. And I made these books with my son. So that was a way for us to, to work together, to create together, and to you know, continue to sustain our relationship in a more active way. Yes, I saw one of them that you work together and so you involve him in your own work. And this is a way of like, as you said, interacting and also for yeah. him continue learning about yeah. the 
the the language and the way to to teach it it's amazing and he is also happily involved he likes the yeah opportunity of working yeah it's it's been a really good creative experience because he he's very talented and he has a really good eye so you know for example this new book this wordless picture book is called bearded dragon home mm-hmm. alone and there are no there's no text it's it's a to- story told in illustrations mm-hmm. and he again and again he pointed out things that i didn't really notice that really did make the illustrations stronger so Uh, I give him a lot of credit for the books that we have created because it may be me that's kind of driving the projects forward, but his input has been really valuable. Yeah, they really surprise us sometimes. No, our own kids with their <laughs> ideas or their words. No, they yeah. are amazing. Well, this is so important for 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 everybody and. For me, as a translator and as a linguist, the way language is um, kept and improved and always help us to communicate and to be more open and global, because in mm. a way, as you said, we are all connected, and mm. it's so important to to be able to speak and understand different languages all over the world. Yeah, yeah, and it's a possibility for every family if that's. A commitment you want to make, and I'm not saying it's, you know, that every family has to do this, like my family or many other families. But um, you know, languages for a child to have more than one language is a great gift, I think, for their future, no matter what the language might be. So um, I, I just want parents to understand that the opportunity is there if you choose to accept it and make the commitment and there's a lot of support out there as well you know of course you could go to my blog bilingual monkeys my forum the bilingual zoo i do have the books i mentioned and there are many many more people out there who are happy to offer support through social media and other types of websites and so there's a lot of support out there i mean it's a really i think it's been growing over the past 10, 20 years since I've been involved um, in this field. So uh, yeah. I wish all parents as much success as possible that, mm-hmm. that you can really enjoy a success story too. Yes, Anna. Well, you were a pioneer on this, I think, because well, your books are most, yes, or not. Well, I know I, I'm really just following in the footsteps of many people that came before me, and I, I'm sharing what I've learned as a teacher and as a parent, uh, and if that can be helpful to other people and help their family, again, you know, have their own success story, then that's very, very gratifying to me. Yes, and you keep on, because you also, you have Japanese and English in your own family, and also Spanish? Yeah. A little bit, but it's been a secondary second language. So, Mm -hmm. in fact, my children, we had a a woman from Spain who lives in Hiroshima, and she was coming uh, twice a month and, and had lessons with my kids, and they were making some good progress. 
And then with the, the, the pandemic, it was hard to sustain that. And as they've gotten older now too, it's just hard to sustain extra activities. So they haven't had a lot of Spanish uh, exposure over the past year or so, but you know, it's there. I think they do have some foundation and hopefully someday they'll be able to pick it back up. But um, yeah. yeah, our main two languages, of course, are Japanese and English. And their minds are more flexible and agile, you know, I think to be uh, ready to, to learn and acquire more languages because of all this education. Yeah. I agree. I think that's very possible. So um, we'll see where this takes them, but they do have two strong languages. And I, I, I think those languages will take them in many exciting directions for their own life. And that'll, mm -hmm. that'll be beyond me. And then mm -hmm. I can just maybe sit back and Do something <laughs> different. I don't yes, know. Yes, um, I feel like I'm getting to the end of my own bilingual journey with my kids. Yes, then will come your grandchildren, and you keep on <laughs> <laughs> you keep on there with the job. <laughs> I guess so. Well, Are I'll, you... I'll continue reading aloud. I love reading aloud. Yes. Well, thanks a lot, Adam, for all your books, all your words, your blog, your continuous help, as you said, all over the world. Imagine I'm in Argentina and I'm following you and many, many people um, uh, with all your, your ideas and your, your education. So uh, I would like you to, to finish and to give us like a last word <laughs> of encouragement for parents and people um, having children and wanting them to be fully bilingual in their future. Well, first of all, thank you, Dolores. It was really a pleasure for me to speak with you today. Uh, again, I would just, um, I want to stress that idea that there's always a payoff to perseverance. So, um, and that's true of raising bilingual children or anything else in your child's life or in your personal life. I do know it's possible. I, I do think based on my own experience, you know, as a writer, sometimes a struggling writer, that it, it just takes a little bit more effort to get past <laughs> those points where you feel stuck, you know, where you feel like it's not working but you just have to keep trying for another day. So that's true of raising bilingual children or anything else you want to accomplish in your lifetime. And I simply encourage you to move forward as best you can. And um, you'll experience a lot of rewarding progress over time. Good luck. Thank you. You are the living experience of this. So thank you for this. Thank you. Yes, of course. It's my <laughs> pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>